Hello and welcome to today's VJ Hemonk podcast. We are a global open access video journal bringing you the latest in hematological oncology. In today's podcast, leading experts Keith Stewart, Gareth Morgan and Faith Davies share key highlights from the Myeloma 2022 meeting, including the important role of peripheral blood MRD, mass spectrometry versus whole genome sequencing in MRD, antibody therapy and amyloidosis, and more. We're here at uh, Myeloma 2022 in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, I'm Keith Stewart. I'm one of the organizers of the meeting and currently uh, working in Toronto, Canada. I'm joined by uh, Professor Gareth Morgan, our co-organizer uh, with me from New York University Langone Cancer Center, and Dr. Faith Davis, uh, who has also uh, been uh, chairing one of the sessions today and, and presented. So we're gonna just have a recap of today's uh, event and, and what the highlights were for those of you who are listening. Uh, we'll maybe start backwards because I thought well, the last session we had today was probably uh, one of the most interesting, which was uh, talk about minimal residual disease in myeloma and the different technologies that are being employed. Uh, Gareth, what were your reactions to that? So I just see the utility of using mass spec going forward. Uh, we've been like addicted to molecular tests and next generation flow but going forward, it looks like within a year, we'll start to have a technology that's apply or applicable to the peripheral blood that has great sensitivity. And if you measure at key time points, like three or nine months after a transplant, you can predict how people are going to do long-term and adjust therapy appropriately to make outcomes better. It's great news. And it's just a blood test. It's not just a blood marrow. test. And, you know, I remember when I was at Mayo Clinic and it was first being developed, the other thing is it takes 15 minutes to run the test. So uh, really incredibly efficient and simple. Uh, Faith, what were you taken by in that session? I really enjoyed um, Raphael Fonseca's talk. He gave, put some really good kind of thoughts out there along the lines of, you know, we're all getting worked up about, you know, is MRD kind of formally approved for all of these things. And he kind of pointed out that we're all very comfortable using serum-free light chains to measure response, and that we're very comfortable using those to kind of change our therapies and so on. So why are we getting so upset and so kind of concerned about using MRD as a test? And yeah, so I thought that was are, really- um, Some people are really quite slow to adopt the technology irrationally reluctant to adopt it. Are you using it in your own practice? Yeah, so 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 we, we use it a lot. I and think it's uh, really important. cytometry or sequencing? So we, we've been mainly using the, the sequencing method um, and um, we've got the flow cytometry up and running too. Um, and um, for us, the flow is probably a little easier because sometimes because of our referral systems we have issues getting the diagnostic bone yeah. marrow mm -hmm. um, and so kind of um, the flow method seems to be quite a good one um, but yeah very very happy of course it. that still requires bone marrow and the beauty of today's talks uh, towards the end were that uh, you can do this on a peripheral blood sample which uh, one of the people challenged the sensitivity and specificity of that but one of the things I always think about is if that's positive, you don't need to do a bone marrow. If it's negative, you can still go and do a bone marrow if you're Absolutely. worried about sensitivity. Yeah. So what, what did you think about um, using whole genome scanning as a technology, Gareth? Uh, so was, I kind yeah. of, uh, I, I really like the, like the idea about measuring the number of genomes in the blood using a scanning technology. The issue is in a disease like myeloma, the sensitivity is going to be limited by the number of genomes that are in the blood. 
So my suspicion is that that's not going to work out as sensitive as mass spec. And so I, I actually think mass spec is going to come to dominate and be the routine kind of diagnostic approach for looking for MRD. And Dr. Dispensieri has sort of some other advantages, which were you could distinguish the drugs, the antibody drugs from the tumor. You can distinguish the tumor clone from regenerating clones after transplant. And she didn't talk about it today, but I know that they're working on uh, forms of the protein that are amyloid, that um, cause amyloid, like cosylated forms of it. Mm. So that's also going to be very interesting. So the session before that was on new drugs. And, and for the audience, what did we learn there, Faith? So we, we had um, a couple of talks in there. So we had a number of talks about image resistance um, and um, how, how that can occur. for the audience are Revlimid, pomalidomide. Yeah, yeah revenue pomalidomide, but they're also talking about some of the newer images, um, CC220 and um, 91248. 2480. Yeah, no, all right, nearly there. <laughs> um, and um, so, so that was very interesting. Had a great talk about immunogenic cell death um, and um, how important that is for many of the drugs we've been using for years, like proteasome inhibitors, but also for some of the newer drugs. And I found that particularly interesting because um, Ken Anderson was saying that in the high-risk patients, it may be that those um, cases are unable to um, use um, immunogenic cell death, and that might be why they're, they're more high-risk. So um, that was great. We had a really nice talk from Suzanne Lynch about um, new ther therapies for amyloid and how they're using um, similar approaches with bispecific antibodies and also um, programming macrophages to kind of kill off um, amyloid cells. So that was good. There seems to be more and more mounting evidence that what we've always thought of as being directly cytotoxic drugs may in fact work in large part through the immune system, including the immune modulators and maybe even proteasome inhibitors, which yeah. we never but really uh, thought about in the context of immunity. What do you think? That was a great uh, point of today that a lot of the drugs that we use are actually utilizing the immune system. And building on that with these newer drugs makes every bit of sense. But I, I really was taken with uh, Susie Lynch's talk about uh, modifying monocyte macrophages with like, yeah, chimeric antigen receptors in those cells to have them recognize amyloid deposits and go to that, those and then eat up the deposits and then yeah. have people's organs get better. I and mean, I thought that was really a novel. We'll hear more about uh, new drugs tomorrow, of course. Uh, the last session in the morning was about single cell sequencing. So it was probably the most technology focused, but what were the clinical perils that you took away from that? Uh, either of you that wants to answer. And so you I kind of, um, I, I thought it was a great session. That was like all of the um, single cell data was, was presented. Um, it's still got a long way to go. Um, Dr. Gobriel's 200 patient samples is going to be a useful data set. But currently, it's not delivering what it should be delivering. I think we have to really work hard to understand what's going on and not just have correlations between points of disease, the number of bad cells, and the number of immune cells. There was quite a lot of that correlative science. And we really need to do investigative science where you change something and see. One thing that struck me as quite new was Roger Tiedemann's talk, where he talked about oxidative phosphorylation and the um, 
reactive oxygen species as being a dominant feature driven by amplification of chromosome one, which we have struggled to understand what the significance of that is. Did you buy into the story there? Yeah, so I mean, I'd actually been to um, a a different meeting last week at our cancer centre and um, the um, oxidative phosphorylation is like the buzz kind of area now in solid tumours and um, in um, radiation oncology as well. And so there's a lot of work now going on about metabolic reprogramming and metabolomics. And so I'm kind of really interested not only in what um, Roger's doing at the moment, but kind of that next step of looking at what the differences in the metabolomic profiles between those two. Well, I was going to come to that. So the last uh, session we should discuss briefly was the opening one, which was on the genomics of myeloma. And I I guess I've asked you this before, Gareth, do you think we've tapped out what we can learn from genomics? Is it time for metabolomics now? Uh, I think that would be a a bad move to to give up on (laughs) genomics about now. Um, I think it's just starting to deliver. And as we introduce new treatments, exploring the immune impact, the the sort of molecular impacts of those treatments is going to be really important. The the first session of today was on genomics. And we, you know, just given what Faith just said about the importance and emerging importance of metabolomics in cancer in general and myeloma, um, do you think we've exhausted what we'll learn from genomics, Gareth? I think we're only just beginning to tap into what genomics can teach us and the use of signatures and uh, timing of origin of the mutations. I think there's a lot to learn in that. And I think the next year or two, we'll see a number of new stories emerging, like the role of Apobex signatures and how that modulates disease in different ethnic groups and different risk strata of disease. So I think we're at the beginning rather than the end. What did you take away from that session, Faith? I guess so one of the talks I really enjoyed was from um, Leo Rascher from um, Würzburg. And he essentially was talking about kind of um, the genomics of myeloma and comparing it to how um, the coronavirus has um, emerged over the last few years. And he was looking at parallels and similarities between the two. And um, number one, it was a real kind of cool way to think about, about um, myeloma, but his um, thought process was incredible and one of the the stories he was talking about was um, he was able to give examples where he felt there was like a patient went into more or less MRD but there was like one single cell that was left and then that came back to kind of um, um, really take over. I feel like Gareth's been talking about this for a decade though the evolution of the cell and this small clones emerging under drug selective pressure do you think it's that new or? I think we've both been talking about it for a decade but this was a good a good spin on it which really uh, showed that it works especially when you're explaining to a non-expert like parallels with the emerging variants of the, yeah. the COVID virus yeah it's always much more interesting when somebody other than your other half says something isn't it yeah well he's usually wrong <laughs> so, so, uh, <laughs> thank you everybody for paying attention this is the end of day one of our uh, myeloma 2020 meeting on the innovation in biology and myeloma uh, we'll be back tomorrow on day two and uh, thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VJ Hemonk and subscribe to VJ Hemonk podcasts on Spotify, Apple and Podbean. Until next time.